Thanks, Alyssa. Hey, quick clarification, Bonnie. Do we need, um, do, do parents need to get their kids from the nursery before the meeting? Don't need to. Okay, parents, if you got kids in the nursery, you can just stay put uh, for the short, emphasis on short, congregational meeting that we'll have right after worship. Okay, we get to turn our attention to God's Word now. We're continuing in our series of the Gospel of Mark, the life of a disciple. We're going to talk about growth in discipleship today. We're in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 26. Listen now as I read from God's Word. And he said, that's Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. You have chosen not to hide but to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us. And so we ask, Lord, that your spirit would be at work softening our hearts and opening our ears that we would hear what you have to say. Encourage us, Lord, even in the discouraging process of sanctification. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's a guy named Ira Glass who hosts a radio show called This American Life. I'm sure some of you are familiar with it. And he has an interview that's kind of floated around the internet as well about what it looks like to create things, about being involved in the creative process. And he very helpfully lays out kind of a three-stage understanding of what it means to do good creative work. He said the first stage is really ignorance. You don't know that you don't know. And so here you are just going about doing whatever you are, and since you don't really know what good art is, you don't know that you're not doing it. And so ignorance is kind of bliss in a lot of ways. But you slowly, move in, you slowly move into stage two, which is the most frustrating of all the stages, which is starting to understand what good work looks like and starting to see that you're not actually producing it. And this is where most artists, most folks in their careers spend most of their time, is in this difficult process of understanding that's what I know I need to do, but I'm having such a hard time doing it. Stage three, of course, is understanding what's good and being able to do it, and it's kind of you reach the pinnacle of the creative world. Now, we deal with these things in our lives, even though, even if you're not a, a creative individual, even if you don't deal with that kind of thing in your, in your job or in your life. For instance, when I was a campus minister, I had more than one conversation with a student that went something like this, I know that I need to sleep better. And I know that I need to eat actually good food. And I know that I should exercise and I'll feel better if I do. And I know that I need to keep up with my homework. And I know that I need to go to class. And I know that all of those things kind of play with each other. And if I could get all those things done together, I know everything would be better in my life. 
but I just can't seem to do it. And so I go to bed late, and then I wake up and I forget to work out, and I miss class, and I feel terrible about it, and the cycle starts over and over. Maybe even as a grown-up, you felt some similar things. I see the struggles in my life. I can actually even pinpoint maybe the particular sins that I'm dealing with now, but they just won't go away. I have recently become more aware the Lord in His kindness, and I'm using that word somewhat ironically, has pointed out to me that I have a very critical spirit a lot of times, that oftentimes what bounces around in my head about other people is why they're not doing the things that I want them to do and doing it exactly the way that I want them to do it. But you know what? I'm in the middle of that stage too, where even though I see that in myself, it's been really hard for me to change it. And friends, the truth is, in the Christian life, we don't get to stage three until Jesus returns. <laughs> when Jesus comes back and we are renewed and there's a new heavens and a new earth and the final project of redemption is completed, then everything will be great and we won't struggle with those things anymore. But until then, we live in stage two. So here's what I have for us this morning. Five really disappointing things about spiritual growth. Five potentially frustrating things about it, what, it, what it looks like to live in that stage two growth. So let's look at the first one. The first one is that uh, we, is that um, actually we can't see everything that's going on. That's the first one, isn't it? Yeah, you can't always see growth, can you? A lot of times there can be growth and we won't actually see it. We won't even know that we're growing. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Chinese bamboo tree. This is a tree that actually grows to 90 feet tall. That's nine times the height of that basketball goal. 90 feet tall, that's an incredibly tall tree. And over the course of five years, it reaches that height of about 90 feet. But listen to this. For the first, first four years of its growth, it does seemingly nothing. You don't see any growth. You don't see anything happening. And then sometime in the fifth year, in a span of about six weeks, if you can get that, it grows to 90 feet tall. Six weeks, 90 feet of growth in six weeks, but about four years of nothing. Now, does it take six weeks for that bamboo tree to grow, or does it take five years for that bamboo tree to grow? The truth is, it takes the five years, doesn't it? And that's the way that we grow oftentimes as well, is that sometimes there can be good things happening in our lives, and we just don't see it. God is actually working in us. He's cultivating. He's growing things in our lives, but we just haven't seen it come out of us yet. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is the same kind of way. When Jesus was speaking, the people that he was speaking to would have uniformly understood that the kingdom of God, they would have thought, this is going to come immediately. We need to see it now. We're waiting for a Messiah who's going to take political position, or maybe even better yet, a Messiah who's going to come in as a conquering war hero, and he's going to free us from the Romans, and we're going to see immediate kingdom of God growth. But Jesus says that's not the way that it happens. 
oftentimes incredible growth even can come in ways that we don't get to see. Second disappointing thing is that we are not always given the final picture. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't it be great if spiritual growth was kind of like a blueprint and the building project after that? That's the way we build houses, isn't it? Here's the blueprint. In fact, if you have a building commissioned by an architect, probably that architect is going to give you an incredibly realistic-looking picture of this is what it's going to look like in the end. And then the builder is given the blueprint, and then they build it, and it comes out pretty much exactly like that picture said it would. That's not the way that the Christian life works. Think about landscaping your backyard. If you decided, hey, we're going to totally redo our backyard, and you called a landscape architect, and you said, uh, here's what we want to do. We're going to take this vast wasteland we have back here, and I want it to look exactly like this. And you open up your Martha Stewart magazine, and you point to a picture, and you say, that's what I want my backyard to look like. Well, the landscaper's probably going to say, well, I mean, I can plant those plants, and I can plant them in that pattern, but I can't tell you what they're going to do. They're plants. They grow organically. They don't grow mechanically. And so the final picture is not something I can give you right now. That can be a little disappointing. We don't have the exact picture of what it's all going to look like in the end. Here's another thing that is sometimes disappointing. (laughs) Is that God works through difficult and boring things to grow us. In fact, it's usually God's favorite way of working. Usually, God's favorite way of growing us is to work through the difficult things in our lives and to work through the boring and the mundane things in our lives. We have lived um, more, more often than not, the houses that we have lived in have had a pier and beam foundation. You know, a pier and beam is different than a, a concrete slab. Pier and beam are the houses that you can crawl under, right? They've got a crawl space underneath. And I love pier and beam houses. Uh, love just the way that they feel and the creakiness of the floors. I just think it's cool. But also, they're just so easy to work with. If you have an unlevel foundation, you can actually go in and just put a shim under one of the piers and you can level your house rather than have to dig under the slab and change everything. Or if you've got a plumbing problem, you can just go into the house and fix the plumbing rather than jackhammer out the foundation to fix the plumbing that's already in the hard cement. I love them. And I've wondered, why doesn't everybody have a pier and beam house? In fact, I asked a builder friend of mine this one time. I said, why why don't we build this way? Why is it that all of the pier and beam houses that I've lived in have all been old houses, and whenever there's a new house, I don't see people building this way anymore. Why is that? Why are they all old? And he said, very quickly, he said, oh, there's a really easy answer. He said, because if we built one of those now, it would rot and fall down in about two years. Because the wood that those old houses are built with is different than the wood that we have to build houses now. The wood that was supporting the foundation of all of my old houses on pier and beam foundations was old growth wood. And the wood that we have to use now is new growth wood. Here's the difference. Old growth is really what you think of a forest. It's wood that's harvested from trees that grew in a forest. And how does it grow in a forest? Well, a seed drops from a tree and a sapling springs up and it springs up right beside another tree. 
right beside another tree that's actually probably crowding out a lot of the light. And a bunch of trees in a forest. You got your, a picture of a forest in your head. There's a lot of them. And they're all really trying to grab the, the nutrients in the soil and the light. And everybody's kind of fighting for these things. And so those trees grow a lot slower. They don't spring up overnight. They don't grow to full height within a year. They grow really, really slowly. And guess what that really slow growth does? It makes them really dense, really hard, really resistant to rot, and really good for building things that don't fall down. There are trees in the mountains of North America that are right at the top of the tree line, sometimes two miles above sea level. And they have the harshest conditions, terrible weather, rocky soil, a hard time growing. And those trees can grow for thousands of years. They can be thousands of years old because they know how to weather the difficulty. Growth oftentimes happens in the hard times. And maybe even more disappointing to us is that it very oftentimes happens in the boring stuff. If there's something that we hate more than difficulty, it's boredom. But growth happens in the mundane more often than not. God tells us in His Word He has given us some really regular, really mundane, really oftentimes boring things and promised us that we're going to grow by making ourselves uh, available to those things. Things like reading and hearing God's Word, engaging in prayer, with the Lord, being a part of God's people in regular community, worshiping, singing, receiving the Lord's Supper, regular, boring, everyday, mundane stuff that God says, this is the way that I'm going to be at work in your heart for the long haul. How about the last one? Fourth one, not the last one yet. Fourth one, disappointing thing about spiritual growth is that growth often begins very small. This is what Jesus says in the parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed, Jesus says, is the smallest seed of all of the seeds. Scientifically, it's not the smallest, but it would have been the smallest seeds that all of the people in that culture would have used. In fact, it would have become kind of a proverbial thing. If you wanted to refer to something being really small, you would say that it was like a mustard seed. That was part of the way that they spoke in the culture. Because the seed was so small that when you threw it on the ground to plant it, you, you couldn't even see it once it hit the dirt. It was small. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God comes like the smallest thing that you know. The smallest thing in our culture, the thing that we talk about that is really the pinnacle of being small, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And it comes in that kind of small package. Now, again, think about the context. Jesus is talking to people who are expecting not only immediate, but big results. We want something to happen now, and we want something big to happen now. Enough of this, like, small little teaching and gathering people around and maybe healing a few people. Let's see some real transformation here, Jesus. And are we any different? We like big. I mean, come on, we're Texans, Right? We like our football stadiums big. We like our churches big. We like big growth. We like success. If it's not big, if it's not successful, if it's not going at the speed of light, then it's probably really not worth doing, is it? We like it when it's big and shiny and wonderful. And Jesus says, no, actually the kingdom of God comes 
like a mustard seed. It feels insignificant. You can't even see it when you throw it on the ground. Small, tiny. Here's the fifth one. Cheer up. It's getting worse. Really kind of the culmination, I think, of all of these disappointments is this. Is that growing as a Christian is not primarily your job. Does that surprise you when I say that? Does it maybe even offend you? Does that sound really difficult? Wait a minute, how could it not be my job? Well, the Bible says we do have a part to play. But Jesus, when he gathers his disciples around, he says, remember, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Do you remember what he says to them? He says, you're going to bear fruit, but he never tells them to bear fruit. He never tells them to grow. He never tells them to do anything except the most not doing anything of all anything, and that's abide. Jesus says, your job is to abide in me, and I'll do the growing. I'll do the fruit producing. God tells us that he is really good at making big, wonderful, beautiful things out of really small, boring, difficult, unseen things. In fact, look at the way that Jesus finishes this parable. He says, the mustard seed, when you plant it, it seems really tiny, it's small, but what happens? It grows, and it grows into a tree. And it grows into a tree that's so large that it actually spreads out its branches, and birds can come and they can make their nests in the branches of these trees. That's flourishing. It's a picture of flourishing for us. Now, oftentimes when I read the Bible, I need some help, and I need a, a commentator, a biblical scholar to help me find what's kind of behind some of this text. And uh, I had a biblical scholar tell me about what's behind this text earlier. That scholar's name was Kathy Tuton. She pointed out to me on Tuesday in our, in our staff meeting that, oh, wait a minute, we've seen this picture before of this tree with birds who are flourishing in the nest. It's in Daniel. Anybody remember that? This dream that the, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has, and he has this dream that there's this huge tree, and there, it's, it's providing shelter for all of the animals underneath the tree, and it's providing a home for all the birds of the air. And Daniel, interpreting that dream, says, that's actually about you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's your kingdom. It's actually going to grow and do pretty amazing things, and people are going to flourish. Of course, at the end of the dream, the tree gets cut down. Because Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was not meant to last forever. There's actually another passage as well that I think maybe Jesus is referring to. Also in the Old Testament, also around a similar time, and it's from the prophet Ezekiel. I want you to listen as I read to you Ezekiel 17, verses 22 to 24. Thus says the Lord God, this is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to Israel, I myself will take a spring from the lofty, lofty top of a cedar, and I will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And listen to this. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree, and I make dry the tree flourish. I make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. 
Ezekiel says that the kingdom of God is actually going to look like this tree that is flourishing and providing a home for the world. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian kingdom, the kingdom of God will actually flourish. And in Ezekiel's vision here, those birds that are coming are meant to actually represent non-Jews. They're meant to represent Gentiles. So not only is God going to make his people flourish, but he's actually going to make that flourishing for the benefit of the rest of the world, that the birds will come and they will flock to it and they will find a home. God's kingdom will be such that the rest of the world will find blessing and rest in it. Now, let's just put this all in context here for a second. Jesus has said that the kingdom of God comes small, that you oftentimes can't see its growth, that it, that it comes in a picture that you don't have beforehand, that it comes through difficulty, through boring, mundane stuff. But what happens when God goes to work is that he creates something that not only is for the flourishing of you, his people, but for the flourishing of the world. Guys, when Jesus was talking in this parable, there were about 12 people who really followed him. Okay? By, by the end of the Gospels, by Acts chapter 1, we're, we're told that there are about 120 disciples of Jesus. By the end of the first century, that number had grown from 12 to about a half a million. And that is uh, with the emperor of Rome doing everything that he could to squash out the Christian movement. A half million people by the end of the century. By 1900, that number was 500 million. Just 100 years later, in 2000, it was 2 billion. Today, there are almost 2.5 billion, 2.4 billion Christians in the world. How about that tree? From tiny beginnings, from the little seed, 12 people, an ocean away, thousands of years ago, to two and a half billion people now who call on the name of Christ. Friends, how faithful is our God to do amazing things through things that we just don't understand at all in a totally backward way than what we would have done it and in a wonderful and fruitful way. Let me just close with this. The kingdom works like a seed, I think because its king works like a seed as well. Jesus actually says this in John 12 to his disciples. Truly I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about his death. He is the seed. He will fall. He will be buried. And he will be raised to produce incredible fruit. It is actually through his death and resurrection Jesus, this unknown Jew, seemed insignificant, carpenter in Galilee, who would be crucified on a Roman cross just like lots of other people, just ho-hum, just another crucifixion. But this little seemingly insignificant, unseen, (laughs) boring even preacher in Galilee would be the seed that would change the world. Friends, our job simply is to abide in him, 
to avail ourselves to the regular, boring, and incredible news of the gospel that says that it's his life and death that has changed not only our hearts, but the world, that has grown in us seeds that actually produce good things, that his kingdom will be a kingdom in which the rest of the world can come and take refuge. How good is our king? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for uh, this, your word, for these stories that you tell us that are sometimes hard for us to understand, that feel like they work backward from the way that we're normally used to doing things. And Lord, you remind us that your kingdom really is a backward kingdom in many ways, that the way that you go about doing things, about growing, about changing is just, it's different than the way that we would expect it. So, Lord, will you soften our hearts now, soften the soil of our hearts, uh, that we might be fertile places for your gospel to grow. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.